Amen. I want to talk to you about holy desire. We've kind of gone through a few messages on desire. If you haven't, check them out online. But wholehearted desire, crucifying desire. And today I want to talk to you about holy desire. How do you desire something? How do you desire something? So let's just say that I was desiring a new bass boat, and I was really earnestly desiring it. What would that look like in my life? I would be probably, uh, every time I went fishing, I'd probably be drooling over the guys as they you know, drove by me. I probably would get that Bass Pro magazine that just came to my house the other day and just be flipping through it, just thinking and dreaming, having that daydream moment of me being out there in the wind blowing my spiky hair back or something. Or I'd probably be looking at my finances and just wishing and wishing. I'd probably talk to my wife about how what if, what if, what if, what if. If my friend had a bass boat, I'd probably be talking to him, convincing him, trying to sell it. Joe's like, I got one to sell, bro. Uh, no, you know, just uh, yeah, I that would be earnestly desiring it, okay? Earnestly desiring. There's another word for earnestly desire. It's called covet, okay? And covet is often a bad word in Scripture because you know, the Bible says that Eve coveted that fruit. That forbidden fruit, and then she took it and gave it to Adam. Uh, the tenth commandment is, "Thou shalt not covet your neighbor or your neighbor's stuff or your neighbor's spouse." Don't covet, because covet is a bad thing. Why? Because it's really rooted in, rooted in the heart of greed. And if that seed is there, it births something, and you often take something that really isn't yours to begin with. It's to covet something God hasn't given you, and often we try to get that thing ourselves. So we. Can can covet all kinds of things, it can be bad, right? But there's also a coveting in Scripture that's good. There's a coveting of Scripture that's good. There's an earnest desire in Scripture that is good. And that's when you and I earnestly desire the things that God desires for you and for me. Somebody say amen. You can covet what God desires for you. And that's kind of where we're at today. But it's a good thing. What does God desire? God desires all people to know Him, to be saved through His Son. God desires us, the Bible says, to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. He desires us to be temples and dwelling places of the Spirit, to further the gospel mission. James 4, 5 is a good verse for that. He says, Or do you think that Scripture says to no purpose? Say, what's the point of this? It says that He jealously desire. Somebody say jealously. He jealously, God jealously desires the Spirit whom He has made to dwell in us. God jealously desires the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. He jealously desires, He is jealous against anything in your life that keeps the Holy Spirit from filling you and using you for His Son's glory. He jealously desires that His Son purchased on the cross for you a relationship with Him through the Holy Spirit. And He jealously desires that what His Son paid the price for, bled and died for, that you would desire to live a life in the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. amen. That's God's jealous desire for you, that the Holy Spirit, His Son paid the price for, you would live a life in, that you would walk in, that you would be led by the Spirit and, and be moved by the Spirit. The problem is, especially in modern American Christianity, we desire the bare minimum oftentimes of Christianity. We want to be saved, we want to be healed, we want to live prosperous we want to fill our lives with a comfortable routine. 
We want to have all the family fun that we can before our kids grow up, and that is not bad. We want to have a nice bank account. That's not bad. But we don't want to be inconvenienced with the gospel mission sometimes. We don't really want to do more than what's required of us, just the bare minimum, to serve more, to be interrupted in our routine. Most times we get too busy to serve, and the church must less have time to earnestly desire to be used by God throughout our day. Our minds really, I just noticed over the last, you know, I've done this 16 years full time now, I just noticed an increasing busyness in the minds of people, especially in the church. They were often too busy to earnestly desire the things that God earnestly desires for us. I've just seen it. And if you've been in church a long time, you've, those of you who are over 35 years old, you've noticed the culture change in America. We're so inundated with busyness that we've got no time for interruptions of distractions. We've got no time for, for God to break into our routine and just mess up our life. We're really craving that idol of busy, the craving that idol of routine to do the things that live the best life now. We really desire that. But what if we desire the things that God earnestly desires for us? Let me give you an example of that. What if you needed to make an important decision in your life, and you had a Christian friend that at the right time gave you a right word to instruct you how to make that decision? That you were really stressed about making a decision for a job or career choice or buying or selling a house or, or making uh, this important thing with your kids or what direction you should take with your finances. And you were really asking God and then you had a friend phone call you or message you and say, hey, God told me to tell you. Man, I really felt like God told me to tell you this. Wouldn't you be blessed by that? Wouldn't you love for God to just use people around you? Man, that's what we want. Or what if you uh, really, at the, uh, you were so rooted in the Holy Spirit that you yourself could give a divine word to someone in need? What if you were able to give a specific word to someone that offered them comfort or wisdom? And what if talking to a stranger, God could give you a divine word that would spark faith in their heart, and in that moment they would confess Christ? You see, God wants to give you the right words at the right time. God earnestly desires to give you the right words at the right time, but we have to earnestly desire what God desires. This morning, I want to really just talk to us about this one statement, that God desires that you would desire the Holy Spirit to speak through you. God desires that you would desire the Holy Spirit to be, speak through you. Why? So that you could edify the church and evangelize the world. God desires that you would desire the Holy Spirit to speak through you so you could edify the church and so you could evangelize the world. So let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. If you're there, somebody say amen. amen. All right. I'm going to talk to you about the desire to prophesy. And automatically some of you went, whoop, never mind. Hold on. Hold your horses. What are you doing? Right? Because we come from different backgrounds and different denominations. I totally understand that. Uh, and the Apostle Paul is speaking to a church in Corinth who has really gone off the rails with the spiritual gifts, specifically tongues, unknown languages by the Spirit. And he really gives the order. And most people could have just thrown the baby out with the bathwater and said, y'all just shut that craziness down. But Paul didn't do that. He gave strict instructions to have order in love. But he gave three times in this letter a specific instruction of what to do. Now I'm going to give you three verses. They're on the screen. But here's what he says. 
1 Corinthians 12, 31. So I'm going to go back. Earnestly desire. Somebody say, earnestly, earnestly. Desire, desire the greater gifts. And I'll still show you a more excellent way. And then he starts the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. So that, that more excellent way is love. Then he goes into the next chapter, after the love chapter, chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love. So he told him to pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially, especially that you may prophesy. Therefore, and it goes to thir verse 39. He ends that chapter. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. Now, I know that over the last uh, 2,000 years, there's been a lot of falsehood. The Bible says we would have false prophets from the beginning to the very end. And it's, uh, we may come from denominations and backgrounds or heritages and traditions that have neglected or even forbid the spiritual gifts, okay? I just want you to know that's the devil's, uh, I'm not saying those people are the devil or in any, any sense of the way, but if I was the devil, that's one of the things I would do. I would get you to neglect the things that God desires to use you to build His church and evangelize the world world and to just throw out all the spooky things because let me be honest there's been some spooky people out there and and they've done things in the flesh that's really hindered the work of God and so we apologize for all of that craziness right but that's not what we're talking about we're talking about this word prophesy to it means to speak forth what you feel God has impressed upon you and to interpret that word to somebody else all right it means to just tell forth or to say what you feel the Lord has impressed upon you to say to somebody else, to a church or to a lost person, to a family member or a friend. And Paul says specifically, uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, like the phrase says, but to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially, especially to prophesy, especially to prophesy. Three times he says that, covet even to prophesy. How am I coveting prophecy? How am I coveting to prophesy? Sometimes we've maybe even grown up in a heritage that I believe this is available. And this is probably more where I grew up. I knew this stuff happened. I believed it. I saw it. But I was too scared to pursue it for myself. That's okay for them, God. But as for me, I'm going to stay over here and not crazy land. Okay, I'm going to stay over here where I'm still in control of my faculty and members. Okay, I'm just, I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal background and, and I saw the, some of the stuff and I'm like, mm, that's not for me. And so I didn't earnestly desire these things. Let me be honest. I did not earnestly desire, I did not covet, like I covet or desert, could desire that bass boat. I, I'm not, I didn't earnestly desire it that way. But that's the word Paul uses to earnestly desire to covet, to desire something that God desires for you. And Paul says three times, earnestly desire, earnestly desire to prophesy. Why is that? Let me give you like a, a background, some history. What is prophecy? Defined in the Greek, it means to foretell, but really it means to tell for. It can be future stuff, and we kind of think about the end of the world the end is now people on the, on the street corners talking about that or this Bible prophecy and the blood moons and all this kind of end time stuff. That's not what we're talking about. Prophecy at the end of its root word just means to tell forth what God has told you, to say something God has told you to say. And the Old Testament prophets were mouthpieces and spokesmen of God. They were sometimes called seers because they had a revelation from something that God gave them. And they said that revelation to others they were reformers and statesmen and watchmen and intercessors and comforters. They were men and women 
They were young and old. They were rich and they were poor. They were urban and they were rural. They were all types of people from all different backgrounds. God began to use them from Moses to Miriam to Elijah to Elisha to Samuel to Deborah to Isaiah. Even Isaiah's wife was called a prophet. And to even Anna and John the Baptist in the New Testament. They were, Peter says, they were men of old moved by God to do things and say things. Some became writing prophets, and they wrote most of the Old Testament at the end. Some were moved to preach. Some were moved to prophesy. Some had dreams and visions. Some would anoint kings. But most all of them, because they told the truth of God to a lost and dying world, many of them were killed in horrible ways. How many is ready to be a prophet? Amen. Let's go. Come on. Sign up in the back. Right? They, they were moved by God to do difficult things in difficult days. And then you move to the New Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, prophets were moved by God, but then the Spirit came and the Spirit left. He just moved upon them and He left off of them. But Joel specifically prophesied that in the last days, between this moment of Christ's salvation and the end times, there would be a last days remnant of God. And Peter said that day was the day of Pentecost. It began with him. But it would be a day where the Spirit would come and would not leave. He would be a remaining Spirit. And here's what Peter said, quoting Joel in Acts 2, 18. He said, Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, in those days I'll pour forth my Spirit, and they shall, anybody know what it says? They shall prophesy. That's the number one thing. They shall prophesy. And I'll grant wonders in the sky above and the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. Sun will be turned to darkness and blood to moon before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what is he saying? Well, we haven't had the, the moon, the blood, and the, the God coming back part yet, Christ's second coming. But from the day of Pentecost to the day that Jesus comes back, what is Joel and Peter both saying? There will be a day... And that day is today where God's Spirit can be poured on every Christ-believing, Christ-following person. And they will have the uh, upon-them experience of the Holy Spirit. And they will be able to be used by God to be mouthpieces to their generation. We're not talking about crazy charismania. We're talking about normal, everyday Christians who all can be used by God, both men and women, to speak a word of God to people around them. How many think that's a good thing? Man, when God can do something through normal, everyday people like you and me. And God said there'd be prophets in the church. God, and the, So a new day begins. We have the writing prophets in. And then even in the New Testament... God will raise up a new generation of what we would see as prophets. I'm telling you this because I think some of us from different backgrounds, we need to kind of come to the same page. But, you know, because all can prophesy, uh, God still gave prophetic leaders to help equip the church, to help the church do the work of prophecy or do the work of reaching their generation. Let me give you an example. Do you know that uh, in Ephesians, Paul says that he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. And he's not talking about Old Testament. He's talking about New Testament. Some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints so the saints can do the work of the building up. So what is he saying? Uh, he says there's first apostles, but then second prophets. After you look in the New Testament, the first people Jesus chose were apostles. The second people Jesus chose in the uh, book of Acts is prophets. Go into Acts chapter 10. The Bible says in the church of Antioch there were prophets and teachers who founded that church. Barnabas and Saul were among them. And you had many others, Simon of, and Niger uh, and Cyrene of the Cyrene. He, those guys were called prophets and teachers prophets, uh, before Paul was ever called an apostle, he was called a prophet. 
and a teacher. That's scriptural history. You go on, it says that there was even young girls in some churches, Philip's daughters, who were called, there were several of them, they were called prophets. They all prophesied in their local church. They were known. Uh, there's a guy named Agabus, who is a very well-known New Testament prophet, who prophesied this great famine that was coming, so much so, he's so well-respected, that the whole New Testament church began to collect money, like the day of Joseph. Remember that story where Joseph helped Pharaoh prepare for a famine? There was a guy named Agabus, and he prophesied over the New Testament church, said, guys, we need to prepare for this famine. And the whole New Testament church did, and they were able to give to the needy. That was a prophet. He was called a prophet. There was uh, even other men who would come along behind the apostles in Acts chapter 15, verse 32, who were known as prophetic preachers. Uh, two guys' names are Judas and Silas. It says this in Acts 15, 32, And Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren, the local churches, with, I love this, a lengthy Message. How many know some pastors that preach some lengthy messages, right? Well, maybe they're prophetic. I don't know. But, you know, we don't use those terms today, and that's totally okay. We don't use the term apostle. Some denominations do in backgrounds. We don't use that term today for obvious reasons. There was the 12 apostles. We kind of keep that there. But we do believe in apostolic ministry. What do I mean by that? How many know what a missionary is? You believe a person who goes and advances the gospel into unreached people groups and territories, they plant churches, and those churches look to them as apostolic ministries. Those are the founders of our church. You know, uh, Miss Evelyn here and her and her husband Pat founded down the road uh, Maranatha Assembly of God, and their family helped plant that church, helped plant this church, helped plant a church in Allah. And in a sense, while we don't call her Apostle Evelyn, right, uh, she has a very apostolic ministry to us. She's our pastor emeritus. That's one of the terms we use nowadays. Uh, I believe in superintendents of denominations, and we have bishops. We don't call them apostles, but they have spiritual authority over multiple churches. All right? So we don't use the title apostle, but we all can admit we believe in apostolic ministry, people who have oversight over multiple churches. Well, what about the title a, a prophet? We don't use that title here either, but we do believe in prophetic ministry. What does that mean? Just like these guys, we have people in our church and people who come visit us. They come beside the pastor. They come with sometimes lengthy messages, and they equip the saint. They may have a divine word from God to speak into our church in this season. And they're working, even though we might call them evangelists, or we might call them a special speaker or a special guest. They come with a, uh, what they feel is a unique word for God from God to this church. How many people have been to messages in places like that, right? We don't call them prophet, but we might say evangelist Craig Franklin has come here today, and he's got a word from God. God to you. That's walking in that prophetic gifting that we say, man, that person has prayed and God gave them a word for this day and time for this church. So let's take the spooky out of it. Are, we with, are you with me? Uh, head nods, yes. Okay, we're, we're kind of bringing it down to, you all believe it, we just don't say it, right? So every church needs men and women who are anointed in prophetic leadership. But what does that mean for you and for me? I'm going to give you a case of the spiritual gift of prophecy. So look in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Here's what Paul says. I'm going to go real quick here. Uh, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of uh, or discerning of spirits, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. And I'm going to give a plug. Come to our midweek Wednesday night group. Miss Evelyn's about to teach. She's going to teach you about these nine manifestational gifts of the Spirit as they work for today. But what Paul is saying is we all have different gifts, 
And the Spirit gives those gifts. And any uh, Christian can be used in any of these nine outwardly manifestational gifts. Any Christian can be used in healings and miracles and discernment. But we want to line on one is prophecy. So Joel says, while we may have prophets and people who work in the leadership have prophetic words for our church, and we need those offices. And, and in fact, we've, we've kind of pushed those things aside that we don't really, we're, we're actually saying we're having a weaker church today, I believe, because we've neglected that word, and we've made it spooky, and we've neglected that people can speak words that really mean something for us today. And so we kind of, we've thrown out that baby with the bathwater. We need those prophetic leaders today in our churches. But we also need the gift of prophecy today. And this is where it comes to every believer. And what are these gifts for? Prophetic words or the gift of prophecy is words that are inspired by God and interpreted by the one speaking. They can come through a sermon. It can come through a song. Remember David wrote wonderfully prophetic uh, worship music about Jesus. How many know that Amazing Grace was probably prophetic? Whoever wrote that, the guy that wrote it, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, but that song has lasted forever since it, you know, it was all, I mean, how many know Amazing Grace in the church? That was a very prophetic song, and it's continuing today. There's prophetic worship music today. Uh, there is prayers. There's been dreams and visions. Sometimes God gives you just a special word of encouragement for someone. But pro the pro gift of prophecy is really for evangelism and edification. That's a fancy word that means building up, to edify. So let me give an example. Edification and evangelism. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22, he says this, So speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. He says, so if an unbeliever, though, however, comes into your services and don't understand the things that are coming into your church meeting, they hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they're going to think you're crazy. That's the new living. But if you all are prophesying and an unbeliever or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they'll be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. And they listen, and their secret thoughts will be exposed. They'll fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. How many think we could use that today? Where, man, when we come to service and God just moves, and people who are not in a relationship with Jesus are moved to have right relationship with God. I think that's a great thing to pray for. What does he say? He says, well, tongues, they're for a sign. They, unknown languages are for a sign that you, someone looks, who's not on the outside, they say, well, so, something's happening here. It's an outward sign for unbelievers. Something is definitely happening here. But he says, if you all, keyword all, if all of you in this room were speaking in unknown languages by the Spirit of God, people are going to walk in here and they may think something's happening, but they may also think you're crazy. All right? So there's order there. He says, but if you were all, he says, keyword all, not just one or two of you, if all of you were prophesying, speaking by the Spirit of God, in your own language, someone would walk in and they would say, surely God is in this place. And that God would speak to that person and convert them in that moment. Now that's what Paul's desire. He says, I'm praying that you earnestly desire to prophesy in your day and generation. I'm, I'm desiring that you'd be mouthpieces of God. I'm desiring that you would covet the things that God is coveting for you. And there's evangelizing and edifying. Think about the story with Jesus and the woman at the well. 
Now the three in there are word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and prophecy. They are all revelation gifts or revelatory gifts. They kind of bring revelation. So some of them I think you can kind of, uh, the definitions kind of blend and bleed together. Uh, Jesus is at this well in John 4, and he has this woman who's a Samaritan, and he begins to disclose her heart and tell her that she's been married a bunch of times. She's even living with a guy she's not married to. And she t- he tells her everything. We don't get it all in Scripture. He tells her everything she's ever did. And she's joyful about it, and she converts. Well, he had a revelation of that. It was a word of knowledge or a prophecy, and she converted, and she led her whole town to the Lord. That's a building up. That's an evangelistic mode of the gift of prophecy. There's also edification. At the end of Paul's life, he looks at Timothy, and he says, Timothy, uh, go back to the day that the presbytery prophesied over you, and there was prophecies given over you, and we laid our hands over you. And he says, think about those things, and let those things strengthen your faith. Sometimes you might need a word from God that's not just for today, but it's for tomorrow, or three days, or years in advance. Let me give you an example. Years ago, uh, when I was in college, my parents, uh, we had a, our pastor left in our, in our hometown church. I was off to college, and my parents were uh, stepping up to a volunteer staff position in the church. But there was a board member who really had it out for him, my dad specifically, and began attacking his character in a very vile way. And so, so much so that my parents had to leave the church. And what I didn't know is that, uh, I didn't know any of that was going on. So I'm in a Monday night prayer meeting with our campus ministry three hours away. And my pastor comes over to me and says, hey, Heath, I think your dad is going to go through a faith test. And let's pull, he pulled me aside. I remember the day. I remember the moment. He pulled me aside and said, let's pray for your dad real quick. So he prayed over my dad. And I went home. I went to home three hours away, did my laundry, saw my parents that weekend. I didn't think anything about it. My mom comes into my bedroom and says, hey, i got to tell you something. There's something going on at the church. Man, there's people who are really uh, out to get your dad. And I said, don't worry about it, because this week uh, my pastor said dad was going to go through a faith test. And just tears just welled up in her eyes. And she left my room, went up there to tell my dad, and they left that church, would go to multiple churches over the next several months. And I'm going to tell you something. In the two churches they went to to visit, they sat in the back. And from the, in both churches, from the pulpit, the pastor said, there's a couple in the back, and they're right there. And he began to prophesy over them that God was going to see them through this. Now, he didn't know them from Adam, but he began to call them out. That's God. How many know that you sometimes just need God to speak? And how much more you could be encouraged if you just believe that God still spoke today, and he can speak through people to encourage you? Nobody knew that was going on, but God gave three unique words to encourage them in a difficult time. There, I can, let me tell you the uh, time I remember, the first time I was ever used in one of these gifts. I was a, uh, early on in college. I was not called to ministry. And I've told this in our youth department before. But we were in a prayer meeting, on a Monday night prayer meeting, in a garage on campus. And uh, actually, it was in a Chi Alpha, We were at a Chi Alpha house by then. We were in a, in a, it was actually a sunroom. We were in a sunroom. And we were praying, and it was a prayer meeting. It was a Monday night. It was late. It was during finals week. And uh, my heart began to beat out of my chest. My, I could feel the vein in my neck pumping. I could feel flush, and I just knew God was about to make me do something. I, did not, I don't speak in front of people at that time. I didn't get out, and I didn't say anything in public. And God was going to make me do something I knew I didn't want to do. And I felt that God wanted to pray for someone. I said, and in my heart, I knew, Heath, There's someone here that wants to be prayed for. You're supposed to tell them that. 
that someone here wants to be prayed for, and I'm thinking, God, we're in a prayer meeting. Of course people want to be prayed for. That's why they're here. Like, and so I just deflected it and deflected it and deflected it. And the more I deflected it, the more uh, anxious I got, the more the Holy Spirit just wouldn't let it off of me. And so I finally, when everybody had their head bowed and eyes closed, I waved at my pastor and I said, someone wants to be prayed for. And, and uh, long story short, he, he said that. He said he feels like someone in this room wants to be prayed for. And in that moment, a young black girl, I won't say her name, came out from behind and came into the inner circle, and she got prayed for by the girls. After she got prayed for, and it was a you know, very emotional moment for her, she got prayed for, she told us later, she said, I was going to give this thing one more try. I was going to be done with coming to this ministry, done with God in this season. I'm struggling. I was a, she was a nursing major, and she was really struggling on life. And she just knew that she had to, one more chance she'd come to this prayer meeting and just see if God would touch her. And if she had left that night, she was going to be done. God loved her enough to speak. You see, you might be the mouthpiece God needs to use to reach a lost and broken and dying world. How many know that we, people today are lost? People are broken after this COVID-19 and the world that we're in today, the economy that we're in, the, the, the uh, politics that we're in, the hatred, the suicide, the, the anger that's in the world. God is looking for people to speak a word. He's looking to give hope and life and light to people. And He wants to use you. He earnestly desires that you would earnestly desire to be His mouthpiece. I'm not talking about crazy stuff. I'm talking about loving people enough and loving your God enough that you put yourself second and say, God, use me. Jesus, use me. Many times over the last years, we don't have time this morning. God has given me dreams and visions and, and sermon illustrations, moments where I felt like there were two or three people in the room and God needed to speak a word to them. Uh, even in 2019 in this house, we, uh, I had a dream about us being in the high school and weeks later I just began to hear God say, nine months, nine months, nine months. And we went to the high school in faith for nine months, and it was exactly nine months, and we came back, and that was the moment COVID happened. And if we had not done that, we wouldn't have this wonderful remodeled building before inflation. We would have been stuck in the middle of a building program. God knew. How many know God knows? He gives you at the right word at the right time to tell you to follow His will, to obey Him by faith. And what He's saying is, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you willing to speak and say, God, use me? Let me give you five really quick things, because I don't want to end it here. Five really quick things. One verse, one point. For desiring to prophesy. Desiring to speak a word at the right moment, at the right time. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially, especially that you may prophesy. Just like Paul, like in Numbers 11, like Moses, he's, he did, Moses prayed, Oh, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. I wish that all God's people could prophesy. Five quick things that you could say, God, help me. I'm ready to be used by you. Number one is the right spirit. The right spirit. The right spirit is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of prophes prophecy. But because there's so many falsehoods out there, it's very easy to get off on left field. It's very easy to, again, throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's very easy. Uh, but Jesus said false prophets would increase, so we should expect that, even able to sway the elect. But we shouldn't deny the gift. We shouldn't give it up. But we should do what 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says. Do not quench the Spirit. Here it is, verse 20. 
Do not despise prophetic utterance. I could say there are denominations, there are pastors, there are people today who despise prophetic utterances. That's a very clear command in Scripture. Don't quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to which is good. John says, test every spirit. So you need to know, is this the right spirit? It needs to be the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is holy, and He's the Spirit of Christ. And if the Spirit of Christ is in you, you can be used by God to speak to family and friends and neighbors, even to your church, even to your Bible study. But we want to test the Spirit. Is it the Holy Spirit? And I don't want to despise prophetic utterances. Number two, make sure you have the right motives. Paul specifically put the love chapter in between these two gift chapters. He says, if you have not love, you've got nothing. Love is the most excellent way. Your motive has to be to build up uh, the church of God and to bring people to Jesus. If you don't have a love motive, you're going to be out of order with the Holy Spirit. I want God to use me not for pride so I can be special and be in front of people or speak gifts or be used in the spooky ways of God or see crazy awesome things. That's great. I'm glad that we want to do that. But he says if you don't love God more than yourself and you don't love people more than yourself, you're going to quickly be out of order. It's going to profit you nothing. Number two is right motives. Number three is the right order. There's got to be the right order. He says spiritual gifts shouldn't disrupt the church. It shouldn't be chaotic. They're not competing. He says that everything should be in a proper and orderly manner. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. They've got to submit to spiritual leadership. Now, now, when we say prophetic words, some of you may come from a background that's like someone's got to interrupt the service and, you know, we all going to stop and listen. And that sometimes happens. But how about prophetic words that are before the service or after the service? What about prophetic words uh, that are in a small group Bible study? What about just going to Walmart and giving a word to somebody? What about you can send a letter or uh, a message on Facebook? You might just get up in the middle of the night and God gives you an encouraging word for someone. It's just between you and them. That's a prophetic word. It could be a, a worship moment that we have and God tells us to uh, one of our leaders to say something in between a song. It could be something as simple as God giving you a dream and encouraging you to, to make a decision in your life. So when we say a prophetic word, it doesn't have to be something that's chaotic and interrupts and it's this crazy thing that we focus on Facebook and we're charting the numbers and the moon and the stars and the sky, you know, find out when Jesus is coming back. But it could just be like, hey, and let me say it this way, you don't have to say, thus saith the Lord. You can just say, hey, uh, God kind of spoke to me the other day, and I just want to tell you, yada, 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 yada. Or maybe you could test it and say, I don't know if this is God or not, but I really felt led that I should tell you such and such. It doesn't have to be anything crazy, but it can be decently and in order. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, I just want you to know if you're with me. You know, I'm going give, to give you another thing. Paul says, he says in this same chapter, he says, guys, there should be no more than two or three tongues and interpretations in your churches. There should be no more than two or three prophetic gifts in your church to kind of keep it in order. And I looked at that and I was like, okay, there's a limit there. Paul wants to kind of keep things in order. But I looked at that and I said, man, what if we had churches today and small groups today that had six moves of God? I mean, that's the norm. He's saying it's pretty normal for you guys to have, you know, four to six moments where God just really takes over your service and, and uses somebody to speak a word to somebody else. 
Man, if God would begin to move that way in the American church today to say, man, we every week in our small groups, in our Bible studies, in our Sunday school classes, God is speaking. God is using people before service, after service, in our altar calls. He's speaking through our worship moments. He's waking people up at night. He's confirming people who are making uh, hard decisions. People are coming in, and some welcome team member is giving them a word from God, and they're confessing Christ. I mean, God is raising up a supernatural church. God wants a supernatural church. He wants you to want a supernatural church that's decent and in order. Man, don't throw the craziness. Don't, don't let crazy people mess you up from believing that God wants a supernatural church. Can we say amen to that? Man, we need God. We can't do this thing without Him. We need God to be moving in the Spirit in our church. Amen. Next, lastly, is right desire and right faith. Number four is right desire. Paul says, earnestly seek. That means to covet, to strive for, to set your heart on, to be eager to. Can I be honest? Are we, are we eager? Am I coveting to prophesy? A lot of times pastors want to tell you these awesome moments where then God did cool stuff. Uh, I could tell you more mistakes in my life, more moments I've missed God. But the point is, he wants you to be ready. Just this week, I knew I was writing this message. I had to spend a couple hours at the car dealership working on Beth's car. So I took my laptop, and I was working mobile, all right? And so I'm there for like a couple hours, and this couple comes, and they sit next to me uh, in that moment. I'm thinking, well, here I go, about to write a sermon on covet to prophesy. So, Lord, use me. Lord, Lord, use me. And I, I would love to tell you, man, I have an awesome story, but I don't. But I know that I sat there for 45 minutes and I, you know, I said hello and they sat down and they began to talk about family drama, a very, very urban couple and, and we couldn't be polar opposites. Let me just say that. We could not have been polar opposites of people. Heard their conversation, kind of gathered they weren't Christian, right? And uh, I said, God, do you have anything to speak to these people? God, do you have anything to speak to these people? And the Holy Spirit was completely silent. He was completely silent. I don't know why. Maybe I wasn't the right person. It wasn't the right moment. They weren't going to receive it or whatever. The point for me when I came home from that, I was saying, God, I wish you would have said something, but it's that, Heath, you were available. Heath, you were thinking about it. Heath, you were listening. Over the last 20 years of my life, I have been struggling every time I go somewhere. God, do you, Holy Spirit, do you want to speak to anyone in this restaurant, in this store, in this small group? When I come up to speak, when I'm walking through the church, God, is there anything you want to say to anybody around me? He may not have you say anything. The point is not that he's saying something. The point is, are you desiring to be used by God? Are you desire? You're never going to hear him if you don't expect him to speak. We used to have cell phones with those antennas. How many adults remember the antennas you had to pull up, those old Nokia phones? And you didn't have reception unless your antenna was pulled up, kids. That's how it worked. And, and you know, you had to have it on. We have 5G today, and we freak out when 5G goes down, right? I got normal AT&T. I can't, I can't get on my data plan. I can only make a phone. Welcome to 1990, all right? Like, you had to have reception to make a call. And then sometimes you got to have your signal up. Is your antenna up? Are you desiring to hear God's voice? Holy Spirit, do you have anything to speak today? And lastly is you got to have the right faith. Number five, right faith. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. John 10, 27. You say, Pastor, I don't, know, I don't know what God sounds like. Well, start praying. Start reading your Bible. And the Bible says that if you are God's kid, you'll know his voice. I can't teach you his voice. The Holy Spirit will teach you his voice. You just got to listen 
And if you're a true, blood-bought, spirit-filled Christian, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And you'll know when it's God. You'll just know. You'll just know because you're a spirit-filled Christian. But to do that, you've got to spend time listening to what his voice sounds like. You've got to be in your Bible every day to know if that's a God thing or not. You've got to spend time in prayer, listening and cultivating a life in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, faith. Romans said, uh, Paul said in Romans 12, 6, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to work them out, exercise them accordingly. He says, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. I have got to be bold in that moment. I can tell you how many times I've missed God, and God said, Heath, go talk to that person. Heath, go over there. And in my shyness and my fear and my flesh, I failed to take a step of faith and be bold and do something that I might feel is a little crazy, a little out of the box, a little socially not appropriate, but it's according to my faith. You know, God's gracious. He's going to, if you just desire to be used by God, He's going to give you chance after chance after chance. The point is, God, I desire to be used. And as your faith grows and that's God speaking to you and you take small steps of faith, God will begin to use you more and more and more. Covet, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially to speak a word of God to people around you. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? Let's just ask the Lord to search us in this moment. Holy Spirit, do we desire to be used by God to build up your church and to break walls down in the world around us? Holy Spirit, we just surrender to you today in Jesus' name. If you're here and you're a Christian, I want you just to take a moment and say, God, am I desiring other things? more than I'm desiring to be used by you.